Welcome to Food and Loathing, your weekly glimpse into one of the most exciting restaurant and bar scenes in America, in beautiful, sunny, and very, very hot Las Vegas, Nevada. I'm Al Mancini, joined by Jason Harris and producer Rich Johnson. And coming up, it's all buffets all the time. That's right, all you can eat, Al. And we are here at one of my favorite buffets in the city. It's Mint Indian Bistro, and we're going to get into that. And all I can eat. I can eat a lot, but we'll see. We'll see how that works out, because I've been known to eat quite a bit. How much Vindaloo can you eat? You know that I'm a you know I'm a wimp when it comes to the heat, and this place is actually the home of the Inferno Challenge. So <laughs> Mint yeah. Indian Bistro might um, put me to the test. But um, before we get into the food here at, at Mint Indian Bistro, we're going to talk to two chefs who run two of the biggest buffets on the Strip, and maybe on the world, the Buffet at the Wynn and Bacchanal at Caesars Palace. We will also have details on the grand opening of a new taco spot in Pond Plaza, which is taking place this weekend, and some sad news on a closure at Wynn. Also, I think maybe, maybe we'll get into taking some pot shots at our friends over at the Las Vegas Weekly and their picks in their new uh, Best of 2020 poll, if we have some time. You know what we are going to talk about, Al? I went back to one of our favorite local restaurants, so if there is ever a segue to get into what we did this week, that's it! Yeah, well, I've been bouncing all over town. I'm loving that Las Vegas is pretty much completely reopened these days. And I know we've been talking a lot about the Virgin Resort, but um, I, I was looking for a brunch to do on Sunday, and I actually dropped by the Boozy Tea Service they're offering over on Sunday afternoons at the Shag Room in the new Virgin Resort. i got to say, really cool vibe. Have you seen the Shag Room yet? No, but do they shag in there? I mean... You know, I didn't because it was early on a Sunday afternoon and, you know, it was, um, I don't know, I wasn't quite feeling up to a little public display of affection, but I'm sure you could. There are some really plush tents and it just, you feel like there should be belly dancers and, you know, it's, it's, it's really luxe. Um, I love it. They bring you out, um, you, you get a tea service, you get your own pot of boozed up tea cocktails and then a three tier tray of snacks. Pretty awesome. Um, there's a band on in there. You can check out live music while you're there. I'll say the band that was playing when I was there on Sunday, they felt like they were maybe a little new to each other. They maybe hadn't played for a while together, but um, I still had a blast watching them. Um, it would seem to be maybe testing out some new materials, you know, things like that. Well, so. it's possible they had too much boozy tea. And, you know, they just got sloppy yeah. later in the set. That very well could have been it. You know, um, the boozy teapots were really cool. Um, Sue and I had a couple of them. I tried the Earl Grey sidecar, which is made with um, Remy Martin VSOP, Earl Grey tea, uh, triple sec and orange juice, and yum, oh, yum. I'm going for that. Yeah. yeah, what a way to start your Sunday morning. And, of course, the sidecar invented by my favorite mixologist, Tony Abuganum, who's here in Las Vegas. So that's a nice nod to one of our favorites. Yeah, so, so it was a lot of fun. I dug it. Um, I, the, the photos were fantastic. I'm going to put them up on the um, Food and Loathing social media. Um, probably by the time anybody's listening to this, you'll be able to see them there. But, you know, I put them up on my personal social media site. People exploded. I mean, there's just a, it's a gorgeous setup. It's a lot of fun, a lot of cool snacks over there. And um, I got a question from somebody. Well, I have to interrupt first. People exploded? People did. <laughs> they, they exploded. I, Amazing. I they exploded with excitement. Um, but the comments section did, in fact, blow. 
blow up, my friend. You Fantastic. know, it's a little early in the morning. I have a I question. I've not had my whiskey yet. Is, is Tony like 110 years old? Because the sidecar was invented in like the 50s in the Mad Men era. Tony's ageless, my friend. And uh, the uh, I was probably <laughs> thinking of the cable car. But okay. any reference to Tony is okay with me. <laughs> All right. so. so Jason's just making up facts and attributing <laughs> yeah, right. things to our friends. <laughs> Let's not forget, Tony was the 35th president of the United States. Oh, yeah. And he invented just the car, from what I'm <laughs> yeah. told. I believe, um, I believe Henry Ford stole that idea. Yeah, it was Abu Ghanem Motors at first. Yeah, it Rich, was. Rich, producer Richie, Richie Wonderbread keeping me honest. Rich right. fact checker over there keeping yeah, us all honest. Get your facts right here. I did get a, um, I got a question on my social media about the Boozy Tea Service, which runs, by the way, every Sunday from noon to three. Uh, it's 40 bucks if anybody's curious checking it out. I keep saying morning. For me, noon is the morning, yeah. so I'm on a Sunday. Uh, but somebody asked if they could do vegan stuff, and so I, I made a call over there, and I was told that um, Chef David Worley over at Virgin, he does not necessarily always do vegan dishes, but if you call ahead when you make your reservation, they will accommodate your dietary restrictions. So for those of you who don't want to enjoy like the Parmesan unicorn crisp that I had that you'll see a photo of, um, you, th- you can get something vegan well, done with no unicorns harmed. Was that a crisp shaped as a unicorn? or It was, in fact, a crisp shaped as a unicorn with a nice little Parmesan flavor. A unicorn frica, if you will. It, it, oh, it was a freak. <laughs> it, it was, in fact, a freak. Um, were there any other snacks that you loved there? Um, actually, I just I really just liked the vibe. I liked all of the snacks. They were all, all quite tasty. Um, the sweets were really good. I took them home, and I was snacking on them for for a day or so. It sounds pretty innovative, and Al, that's another segue, because speaking of innovative food, I was over at EDO Tapas this week, uh, one of our favorite restaurants there in Chinatown on uh, Jones and Spring Mountain area. Chef Oscar Amador and Roberto Liendo putting together just an amazing food and service program. Uh, Chef Oscar, obviously from Spain, uh, kind of doing these very modern Spanish tapas with this Asian flair. But as I learned in my chat with uh, Roberto this week, it seems as if Chef Oscar might be leading a little more one way than the other right now. Roberto says the time off for COVID gave them a chance to regroup and rewind, and even with the tough conditions at first. Chef had to quarantine in his room for about two weeks. And in that time, he was uh, just locked with his books and his computer. And he fell in love uh, back with his roots, with the all Catalan cuisine. Uh, and uh, so a lot of the new dishes that have been introduced, they have everything to do with uh, chef's uh, childhood and what he saw his parents cooking as he was growing up and what he saw happening in, uh, in Barcelona. Obviously, he's not going to cook classic dishes. He's going to reinvent a little, and uh, he's going to tweak a little to make his and to make it exciting and uh, utilizing the uh, whatever ingredients that are available right now and new techniques. And Roberto also says while you can enjoy their new takes, think about this, diving into something a little more classic Catalan. For example, the rabbit with uh, the uh, escabash and uh, vegetable vinaigrette that we're doing right now, alajillo, uh, just a la plancha, simple flavors, all about product. Those are some of the dishes that uh, I encourage people to be uh, more adventurous and come in and taste. And actually, Al, the first time I ever went to Edio Tapas was with you, and it was for my birthday, and that was a few years ago. 
and you never took me anywhere for my birthday this year, so I think we should go back soon. Did you have your birthday during a pandemic or something this year? I'm not going to answer. <laughs> that could have been the reason. Either that or, I don't know, maybe I didn't have fun with you the last time. Or well, you're too old now. Well, okay, these are all fair and validated points. I just want to go back to EDO is all I'm saying. Okay, well, EDO, by the way, is on Jones near Spring Mountain Road. Speaking of things we've done this week, I also got to fulfill a lifelong dream of opening a bottle of champagne with a saber. Follow the bottle. Yeah! yeah. Woo! Oh, Woo! Only two times. Yes, and I do say lifelong dream. Of course, when I was a child, it was opening a bottle of something with a lightsaber. That was what my real dream was. But this was a um, sabering champagne. Have you ever done that, Jason? No, but I did watch you do it. I saw you post it on Facebook. And I got to say, as much as I dislike complimenting you, you sabered the heck out of that thing. Well, you know, I did that under the um, careful tutelage of Jeff Wyatt, the owner of Marche Bacchus. We did it on Bastille Day, which is the day that um, Jeff, and, Jeff and Rhonda have been, Jeff and Rhonda Wyatt have been celebrating Bastille Day there for about 15 years. It's an amazing, fun excuse to party on a day that most Americans don't party. And they actually do skydiving. They get some people that fly over their restaurant in an airplane, jump out and land in the lake behind them the restaurant. So that's, I mean, I don't know what the hell yeah. that has to do with storming the Bastille. I don't believe there were any parachutes, <laughs> paratroopers involved with storming the Bastille, but still pretty awesome. And, you know, I spoke with Jeff afterwards about it and I, I was curious how well I did. Jeff, so how did I do sabering the bottle? You did really, really well, believe it or not. I've got a couple of surgeons that were back there. They tried before. It took them five times to get it right. So Only took me two. That's not that bad. Probably the first time you hit it, I said, oh, I can just move it a little, little, bit, little bit over. You're done. It's simple as that. Right? Just a little jagged edge on the... Well, no. I mean, oh. I, I could definitely cut myself on that bottle. Uh, I've done that before. You don't want to do that. Trust me. <laughs> so how's best best steel day been for you guys here? You know, this is what, the 15th one we've done here. So uh, everyone's different. And, uh, they're all great. So the weather cooperated. We didn't think they'd be able to jump because of the wind, but it worked out perfectly. So yeah, we cannot complain. We love having our own day to celebrate. <laughs> yep. You know, everybody celebrates 4th of July here, but we like having the 14th as our own day. You cool. Know? Well, happy Bastille Day. Thanks Thank for letting me savor a bottle for the first time ever. Thank you. Yes. Enjoy the champagne. <laughs> so that was a lot of fun. Jason? I have a challenge for you, Al. Next year, savor it while you're skydiving. I, there's no way in hell I am ever skydiving. Um, that's not going to happen. I jumped off that stratosphere once, and that was enough for this kid with fear of heights. Um, I know we want to talk to the owners here at Mint. Before we do that, one more thing I did this week, because I think this was a lot of fun. I want to make sure we get it in. I went over to Jing in downtown Summerlin. They launched a brand-new industry night. Um, and it was packed, beautiful people, you know, definitely gorgeous, gorgeous crowd, um, mi mixing and mingling. Not the type of people that I would normally hang out with, but um, Chef Tom Grease is doing the menu over there, and he's doing a fantastic menu. We, we, you may remember him. He's a veteran of Bouchon, Alizé, Andres, Le Cirque, Charlie Palmer Steak, the Mina Group. I mean, I could just keep naming fa fancy restaurants, but he took the reins over at Jing last August, and um, when he brought a bit of sushi to my table, I asked him to explain what he's doing on this new Monday Night Industry Night. Industry Night's really about giving back to our community. Um, you know, chefs, GMs, uh, nightclub, day club, uh, anyone who works in the food and beverage service in industry, it's really about giving back to them. We've got a really awesome menu. It's half price steak and sushi. You can't go wrong. I mean, it's along the lines of like, you know, 
Cleaver, Herbs and Rye, where you come in, you kind of come in after shift. Or we actually started earlier at between nine, you know, it goes from nine to 11. Um, and we're open format, right? So like we have our whole other menu plus this. Um, there's also, you know, if you buy an ounce of caviar, you get a choice of vodka and or some, some bubbles to go with it. That's compliments. Steaks are, are 26 to 20, $28. Um, can't go wrong there. It's all prime USDA from Creekstone. You know, we, we really worked our, our way to, to have, you know, work magic to get that uh, system up and rolling. We have our own butcher shop back there, so we're able to do our own fabrication in the house. Um, the other cool thing is the hot rock. The Wagyu hot rock that we do is comes out, you know, served table side. It's really, you know, buy two ounces, get one free and you do them in increments of three. So wow. it's a great way of like giving back again to our community and you know, inviting everybody in to come in on their Monday off when, when I'm here working. It feels like this is a young crowd. This is a, a very attractive crowd. This is a mix and mingle crowd. This is everything that I'm not, right? I mean, this is the beautiful people out um, to have a good time and party. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's a mix. Um, we get old, young, um, hip, you know, what, whatever. I mean, it's, it's a good mix, but definitely everyone kind of comes here, you know, uh, strutting their stuff and, and wants to, you know, show off. And um, it's, it's a really cool vibe. They're, they're definitely it's vibe dining at its best. I thought he was going to drill you there where he goes, we get old, young, attractive, ugly, whatever. But uh, I got to say, Wagyu Hot Rock, that sounds like a really fun interactive dish to me. Yeah. Yeah, that that I, I didn't have that one, but I saw some people having it. It looked like a lot of fun. I like the idea that if you buy a um, 30, 30 grams of caviar, you get a free bottle of either champagne or vodka. Because, you know, if I'm going to have some caviar, I need a bottle of vodka. As we have said, the theme of this episode is buffets. And we are here at one of my favorite buffets in the city, Mint Indian Bistro. Admittedly, I eat more at the original location on Flamingo uh, down there by UNLV. But right now we're here at the newer location on uh, Durango and Flamingo with uh, the owner, Chris Parikh. Chris, how are you today? Excellent, excellent. Glad Cr to be here, guys. Chris, let me blow you up a little before the, we get into the buffet stuff. You also opened Divine Dosa recently, which is killing it on Instagram. Lots of followers, lots of fans. You got these four-foot roadies, four, right? Four-foot dosas. Four foot doses. Why did I say roadies? That doesn't even make it's sense. It's a roadie. I mean, it's it's <laughs> uh, it's a crepe right. made with rice and lentils. Uh, so it's a savory crepe from southern part of India. And now, Chris, when I, when I first met you, you only had mint over on the east side of town. At the time, it wasn't purely Indian, right? You were doing Himalayan cuisine, some Tibetan stuff. Max Jacobson brought me in there. Absolutely. You know the the yeah. the the Mac daddy of food journalism in this town. Uh, Max brought us over. And so you've kind of segued over into doing purely Indian. Is there still Tibetan or other Himalayan cuisine on any of your menus? We have some influence. Uh, yeah, you know, we met at Himalayan cuisine and then I think Max was all over it. Um, and I think since then, I think Himalayan cuisine was interesting and I think we had to bring Indian twist to it. And I think Indian is more known to everyone than Nepalese cuisine. So I think that's where we made a switch, and I think since then, rest is history, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I'm loving you having a, having you over here on the west side of town, because you're literally two minutes from my house. Like, this song, the Rob Zombie song that was on when I got in the car to come here was still playing when I got here, so that was awesome. Um, but you are, you're a little scary for me, because as Jason likes to make fun of me, um, I am not good with hot food, and you guys have an infernal, infernal challenge going on over here, right? Could you talk a bit about that? 
Absolutely. Inferno Curry Challenge. I mean, you're not going to die, Al. <laughs> well, I mean, we're it's all Just for that. fun. You know? If he does, at least it'll be live on air. Right? Yeah, but yeah. he is to sign a waiver that if he dies, he's not going to sue my company. You know, <laughs> that's FYI. But yeah, Inferno Curry was created as, as, as you know, we, my wife and I started this in tw- uh, 2008, late 2008. And I think uh, we're foodies and we're a little bit experimental, but sometimes we need, like to push boundaries. And I think that's where the Inferno Curry was born where people used to come in and say, I can't get enough spicy food at an Indian restaurant. And it's like, okay. And that's where we created Inferno Curry in 2009. And since then, it's it's just been, we've had almost 4,000 plus people who signed the waivers. <laughs> and between two locations, we have about 50 plus people on our wall of flame. Wall of flame. Look at that, man. Wall of flame. Jason's been on some walls for being flaming. For but that's reason. another story, Chris. Totally you want me to have to make it right now? You guys want to do the challenge? There's no, no way I'm doing that. No, 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 no. no. Well, let's segue back into buffets, which is the theme. <laughs> and, and it was important for us to get here because I love your lunch buffet. Um, do you want to tell people who have never been in what they can expect here at uh, the Mint Lunch Buffet? Absolutely. So... For people who've never tried Indian food, buffet is a way to go because it's it's a good way to get introduced to different curries. Uh, we have kebabs on there, and absolutely, the number one favorite is the garlic butter naan. I mean, how can you say no to that? I mean, it, the garlic butter naan has been like the number one staple for everyone coming to an Indian restaurant with 400% increase year over year in consumption when we look at our data. So, wow. and it's part of that. You get garlic naan, bottomless. And everything on their food that we have, we have your favorite chicken tikka masala, you have pakoras, we have a couple of rice, you know. There's always a basmati rice, a flavored rice, oh. enough now, vegan, vegetarian, and meat. Yeah, you're making, ma- making me hungry. You also have a great wine program here. You have the enomatic wine system too, right, where people can yep. kind of help themselves to wines and beers by the glass. With the by the ounce. By the ounce. Yeah, so we charge by the ounce. So you can actually, let's say most of our wines run into about 60 to 90 cents an ounce. And the beers run into like 50 to 70 cents an ounce. I love the chili chicken. That's one of my favorite it's items. It's on the buffet, man. I know it, man. Okay, we keep talking about this. I think we're going to have to cut and eat some of well, it. Well, we're man. definitely <laughs> going to have to eat some. Um, what I want to recommend, Al, is we're talking about the drink aspect of it. This also has a lassi bar, which if you haven't had a lassi before, is kind of like a yogurt-based yeah, flavored so drink. If people who don't know about what lassis are, it's like lassis and a yogurt drink that's dr- drank by millions of uh, uh, in India every day. And so what we wanted to experiment and kind of push boundaries, as I said earlier, we said, hey, how do we mix, what if we mix yogurt and al- alcohol? First of all, you say, hey, it doesn't go well, right? It's <laughs> going to split and all that. But we tried it. We used different kind of mixers and we ended up with a mixer that actually blends it really well. So now you have a spiked lassi that could be made with vodka or rum. So one of the most popular one is, as you all know, mango lassi, right? Right. And we're going to have you guys try it here. And we're going to have mango rum lassi, which is another popular. So we put dark rum into it. And it, it just enhances the flavor and gives you a kick that you need. How long did it take for you to make that experiment work? It was about a year. And we were looking at, so as as going back to 2009, when L and uh, Max and I met, I was like, we were looking at, like, I'm, I'm no way. I had no experience in the food business at the time when I met you. And so I was like, hey, how do we make it interesting? right people want something new and so that's where it started out and it took about six to eight months to kind of figure out the right uh, mix you know 
Okay, well look, this is all sounding delicious and um, I think we need to get some food in front of us. So we are going to cut, we're gonna go uh, over to another couple of buffet chefs, talk to them in a moment when we get back. This is Food and Loathing. You want to know what really happens in Las Vegas? You need to come to downtown Las Vegas. There's such culture and history and just a, a complete wow and, and an authenticity wow. I'm Jonathan Jossel, CEO of the Plaza Hotel and Casino. And on my podcast, On the Corner of Main Street, we share the fun. I absolutely love, love, love to play slots. Being able to do it for a living is like incredible, right? It's like, it's a dream come true. The great value. That same $100 bill for drinking, eating, and gambling is just double the value. The loyalty. I'll work till I'm 134 and then that's it. I'm not giving another year. And the history of downtown, as best as we can remember. Uh, Ryan and I were were drunk one night. Hey, we should open a bar. Yeah! (laughs) The Plaza is the only casino in Las Vegas with its own podcast, and we're sharing it all every week on the corner of Main Street. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back to Food and Loathing. I'm Al Mancini, joined as always by my co-host Jason Harris. And today we are talking about that Las Vegas institution, the buffet. Joining us today are Chef Jennifer Murphy of Caesars Palace, home of the Bacchanal Buffet, and Chef Jason Duarte of the Buffet at Wynn. Chefs, how are you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having us. Doing great. Thank you. Jason, how are you feeling about buffets today? Uh, I'm a little lethargic since I ate at both of these buffets recently, and I'm still recovering. Yeah, these the you don't go into a buffet when you are full. I made the mistake of doing going to a buffet with you recently after a big lunch, and um, I don't think I took proper advantage of it, but it was still a lot of fun. Well, let's just clarify. It wasn't like we both went to lunch and then bang bang the buffet. You were at a lunch meeting and met us at a buffet. Producer Rich and I were very clean eating that day and saved all of our calories for the buffet. Yes, you guys did it right. You guys did it smart. I did it stupid as I do most things. Um, so guys, Las Vegas is, is synonymous with buffets. I actually did a little research. Um, I found the obituary on the guy who supposedly brought the buffet to Las Vegas. And it was reportedly a publicist, same man who brought the Beatles and the National Finals Rodeo to Las Vegas, a guy named Herb McDonald who inspired the Las Vegas buffet. And according to his obituary, and you know, if you're gonna lie, I suppose obituary is the place to do it, but I'm gonna take the sun for its word. He brought some cheese and meat to the bar of the El Rancho Casino in 1946 because he was hungry. And it was such a hit with the late night gamblers that the midnight chuck wagon buffet was born. The price, $1.25. So um, chefs, yours are a little pricier than that these days, right? Uh, yeah, a little, a little bit more than that. <laughs> but like the chuck wagon that you just mentioned, both of your buffets have charcuterie stations. So, you know, the uh, the tradition continues. Yes, that's also true. 
<laughs> so look, some people love the buffets, some people hate them. I'm one of these people that likes them for very select occasions. Um, but I'm also not your average Las Vegas tourist. But the deal is they are Las Vegas, right? I mean, if people come to Las Vegas, they feel, especially your first trip, you have to hit a buffet. And then suddenly COVID happened and we started hearing these um, questions. Is the buffet ever going to come back? My byline is on a story that actually had the headline asking if the buffets were a thing of the past. I don't remember writing it, but I think Heidi did all the heavy lifting on that one over at the Review Journal. So um, for the chefs here, were you guys ever considering not bringing buffets back after COVID-19? I always knew that they were going to come back because when you hear buffets, you think of Las Vegas. And that I think that institution is synonymous with our town. Um, I think that we have to evolve. I don't think that the standard buffet uh, would last, but I honestly think that if we evolve and we do more of individual plating, if we do a combination of the two of the of the large uh, serving trays and then also the small plates as well, I think that really intrigues people. And plus, you're able to give more variety if you do individual plating. Chef Jen? How about you? Was there ever a time where you said we're just going to turn the Bacchanal buffet into a coffee shop or, a, a, you know, something different? Or would, did you always know you were going to bring back a buffet? And was it always going to be a self-service buffet? We were going to come back. We knew we were going to come back. Uh, we actually had a big renovation that was slated to start uh, right around the time that we closed. So for us, uh, it wasn't an option. <laughs> we um, no. uh, put in a lot of time and effort to... Um, during the closure to, you know, reimagine and, and innovate and really took advantage of that, that downtime. But for us, I, I think it was not a question if, if it was just uh, when, when would we, when would we be back? Hey, no, Chef, chef uh, Duarte, I want to follow up on one thing you said there about the evolution of a buffet. Um, how far do you think you are in that process now of evolving to the next iteration of it? I think we are about 65, 70% almost there. Um, I, I honestly believe that the buffets are becoming more of a, more of a fine dining atmosphere. If you think, uh, rather than just a, you know, herd them into a line and serve them macaroni and cheese and spaghetti and meatballs. And then they go on their way and they have their prime rib. Uh, but I think now we have more, of a gourmet selection. I mean, we have Peking duck, we have lamb T-bone, we have many high-end items that are on our buffets now where, uh, you know, 20 years ago, I don't think you would have seen that. So I just think that it's just constantly evolving and we're introducing more and more product. And I think it's a game changer. I really do. I don't, think, sure. I don't think the buffets are going away. Chef Jason, I was at Wynn and actually wrote a story for the Review Journal when you guys very briefly tried to turn it into an all-you-can-eat order from the waiter kind of concept. Now, were you yes. there and were you involved with that? And, and how, what was the reaction like for that? Um, I was only there for about a month. I was there to help and to assist with that whole changeover. Um, it was it was actually very positive. We had a lot of positive reactions to it. I, I honestly believe, though, that People just want to come to the buffet and see the large spread of food. And I think we we weren't able to have that kind of guest interaction where the cooks are able to speak to the guests and the guests are like, oh, what is that? And then we explained the whole thing. I think that was the only part that we missed was that interaction. 
is it that interaction, the conversation with the chefs that you think is what, and this is for both of you chefs, um, is that what you think really resonates with people? Or is it that really visceral ability to just load your plate up with massive piles of food? Kind of that Fred Flintstone rack of ribs on the side of the car thing. Is that what people like? Or is it a little bit of both? Uh, I, I definitely think it's a little bit of both. Uh, we took notice of what you know our competitors were doing, and uh, they were able to come up with some creative solutions to reopen and, and serve the guests safely through the pandemic. However, uh, it, it was a priority for us to preserve that buffet experience like you just described. And um, what I mean by that is we, we wanted the guests to be able to approach the line and to, to have eyes on the food and to walk back to their tables with full plates you know, with that feeling of abundance and without limitations. Um, so, you know, ultimately that's what we decided to hold out and wait for. And um, that's what you see now at, at Bacchanal. Al said, and I agree with them, that it's a very Las Vegas experience, but in a way it's a microcosm of an American experience. Like, could could this work in any other country? I mean, cruise ships maybe, but like, the buffet is something distinctly American like this, where you can just load up a plate of potato salad and macaroni and cheese and wagyu and that lamb belly that chef's talking about, right? That's an American thing, isn't it? I think so. I don't know that anybody else does it like Vegas does, though. But I, I'm sure you, you see it around the country, for sure. Yeah, I, you know, I said Fred Flintstone, but I kind of think it's almost like Scrooge McDuck, right? Like, you know, where he's just like sleeping on his money in the vault. Like, <laughs> I feel like that's how people just grab that giant plate of shrimp and crab legs in front of them. It just makes you feel like the richest guy on earth because you have all the food you could possibly imagine eating right in front of you at one time. He'd get so cut up if he was swimming in crab legs. <laughs> well, that, that's, that's yes. part of the fun of eating at a buffet that is like there's no limits, right? Yeah, absolutely. So for both of you, and I'm going to start with Chef Jen, because, you know, you did mention that the Bacchanal Buffet was set for a revamp prior to COVID. You used COVID to do that revamp. Could you talk about how the buffet today is different than it was pre-COVID? And then, of course, I'm going to ask Chef Jason about that as well. Yeah, I mean, we have a lot of changes at our buffet. Uh, aside from, you know, following the local government guidelines to, to reopen safely, the most notable changes are is, is the renovation. So we have undergone uh, a multi-million dollar facelift. We have a brand new American uh, seafood and Latin station. Uh, we have new carpet, new chairs. So it, it feels refreshed when you walk in. And I don't know... Uh, how noticeable it is because uh, when you walk in, you, you're automatically overwhelmed by all the food that's out. So it's kind of like a um, a sensory overload. So it's it's a lot to take in, but we do have some uh, new focal points. We have a brand new wood fire grill on our American station that that's just amazing. We have different cuts of meat hanging off and different vegetables uh, strung over the uh, wood fire grill and the smells that come into the dining room are just incredible. It's a, it's a big focal point and a wow factor uh, that's set right behind our carving station. And then we have different rotating grills um, throughout and uh, we, we do a uh, Mexican street corn on our Latin station where you have that interaction with the cook and you can have different flavors made to order. Uh, it, it's just a really fun buffet. Uh, and again, like Chef Jason said, we, uh, we really focused on the interaction with the guest. Uh, something special we're doing now is um, offering roaming carts throughout the dining room. So 
Yes, the guests typically go up to the buffet and grab whatever they want, but now we're bringing the buffet to you, right to your table, and we are using um, dim sum carts. However, we're, we are not exclusively serving dim sum off of these uh, these carts. We are uh, trying to have more unique offerings. So we do like a Wagyu, Japanese Wagyu hot dog table side. We do lobster bisque table side. And we have a whole catalog of recipes. We're, we're going through a rotation of different fun, unique, uh, nostalgic offerings uh, for the guests at the tables, which is really fun. And how about you, Chef Jason? What's different from the buffet now than what it was like prior to COVID? Uh, we are definitely doing more individual plating. Uh, we took what we learned from the past experience with the COVID protocols, and we did find that people were taking less food, but at the same time, they were enjoying the little plates that we were offering, and we were able to do more eclectic style food. So we carried that over into what we're doing right now. Um, we have a chorizo shrimp and grits that we serve for brunch. Uh, we have a brand new pancake station where we're offering five types of different pancakes, including a vegan blueberry pancake that is also gluten-free. So, um, you know, and then we also have an omelet station that we're offering just egg, which is a vegan product. So vegans can have an, an omelet or we even have a taco station where we also have a vegan taco with the impossible meat. So, um, and again, just what Chef Jen just said, you know, it is it is crucially important to have that interaction between the guests. You know, the guests ask us how we're doing. We ask them how they're doing, if they're enjoying their trip and things of that nature. And it's just that camaraderie of the cooks and the guests that really enhance the experience. Um, and we also have a crepe station as well over on our pastry. And we have a whole brand new section where we're offering self-service ice cream with nine different toppings. So they can choose and, and just load up on, on a huge ice cream to end their great meal. Al, can I play bad cop for a second? Sure, bad, bad Jason. Bad, bad cop. <laughs> I love a lot of the offerings at both the buffets um, that you guys have mentioned. And, you know, the Latka station over at the Wynn and stuff like the Ube Chiffon cake, which is a no-brainer to me at, uh, at Bacchanal. But... One thing I'm wondering is, um, do you guys have a plan or are you discussing how to combat the lines? Because I think I know when I was talking to one of the chefs at, um, at Caesars, the lines are even with reservations between one and two hours every day. And we were in the wind line about 40, 45 minutes the other day. And it's, you know, not just the experience of being in the line, whatever, that's part of the deal. But like, you know, we're, we're not necessarily out of the pandemic yet. And we're all bunched together. These are things that are concerning the diners. Right. That's a good point that you raise. And I think that um, one, one of the great things that have come from this pandemic is is that now we are offering reservations and if if you look back to you know prior to the closure people would wait in line on average between 2 and 3 hours just to get in and you know particularly on holidays like thanksgiving uh, we have some of our longest wait times where people are waiting up to six hours, which is, is unbelievable. I know it sounds crazy. Um, there, there better be like strippers at the end of that <laughs> line or something if I'm waiting that line or just free something, you know? Yeah, <laughs> no, I strippers. mean, but that's the demand. Yeah. That's what the demand is like. And to have those reservations, I mean, we're still working out the kinks, but to have that time reduced from, you know, several hours down to, you know, 20, 30 minutes, I think is a, is a significant improvement. And yeah, we still have 
some kinks to work out. We're still trying to figure out um, how to manage that perfectly. But um, ju- just from what I can see now, uh, certain times of the night, we don't have a line at all. And that's a huge improvement on the experience as a whole, because if you don't have to wait in line, people are typically getting really hungry waiting all those hours in line. So um, it, it does improve the experience getting them in quickly. Is it a perfect situation now? Um, not quite, but we're, we're heading in the right direction. We went to Bacchanal Buffet, and I, I teased Jason for this because he's like the old man of the group. And I said, what time should we go? And he said, let's go 4 o'clock and beat the line, right? So, okay, we go, we go to dinner at 4 o'clock for the early bird special, the Jason special. And there was a massive line when we got there. Now, you know, we were lucky enough. You you took care of us, and we didn't have to wait in that giant line. And thank you very much. But, um, but then when we were leaving, probably closer to 5.30, there really was not that line. So I think a lot of people had the Jason mentality, which is right. if you get there early and you force feed yourself lunch for dinner for lunch or whatever that you can get in earlier i don't know if that's the best bet so i'm curious if both of you guys know when the best time at your buffet for the shortest line would be right it's not four o'clock jason (laughs) (laughs) um so a lot of what you see those volumes that you see at that time is we're just starting to open up and people are trying to get on a wait list for later and that's why you see that huge influx but it does kind of fizzle out as as we progress through the night so i would say you know Anytime after five o'clock, after we get that initial push in, and, and right now we're only open for dinner, we are looking at expanding those hours and opening for breakfast and brunch he, uh, here shortly. But um, you know, the, there's just such a huge demand, and I know you know we weren't sure what to expect, uh, but clearly you can see <laughs> people want to eat at a buffet, and um, they're waiting how, in line how, for it. How about a win, Chef Duarte? Is there a better time to beat the lines there? Um, we open at 8 a.m., so we serve breakfast from 8 to 10 in between those two hours, uh, and then even into about 10.30 is a good time to go, and then about 3 o'clock when we do change over from brunch over to dinner, uh, the lines are not too bad. Um, we are averaging about 45 to 60 people every 15 minutes that are coming through. Um, you know, we're, we are working with Seven Rooms, which is the reservation group, and we are, and just like Chef Jen said, we are trying to work out the kinks, but I do believe that the people are comfortable knowing that they are going to get a seat and they just have to be patient, but they're not waiting the three and a half to four hours like they used to, and the line is all the way down the hallway in order to come into the buffet. So at least there is some movement. Um, is it perfect? Absolutely not. Will it be? Probably not, but we are going to get it as close as possible to it. Yeah, and Al, if I can just quickly follow up. I think you guys are doing really well. I guess um, the part that kind of is the disconnect for me is with the COVID restrictions lifted, it just feels like we're kind of back in that bunched up space, whether it's 40 minutes or three hours, and we're still using all the same spoons to spoon our stuff out or put our agua frescas in. You know what I mean? Like, I realize there are more individual plates at the buffets, but it still feels like um, we're just back to what was. And I'm not necessarily saying bad buffet, that's your fault. Like, I mean, these the, the rules are the rules according to the state, but are there any concerns about that? Well, we have changed our entire sanitation procedures at the win. Uh, we change out our utensils every single time we change out a pan. And if not, we change it out every 10 to 15, uh, every 10 to 15 minutes. 
So we try to stay on top of that because we we are very well aware that people are still hesitant to grab other utensils and grab serving spoons and, and tongs and things of that nature. Uh, we do a complete wipe down of our entire line every 30 minutes. So we try to do as everything that we can in our ability to keep everything as clean as possible as sanitation wise as well. And, and I have to say, I mean, I feel far more comfortable, to be honest, in, in either of your restaurants or in just about any restaurant where I know the chef than I feel in just about anything else I do in Las Vegas. Right. I would rather touch your serving utensils than touch poker chips. Right. And I would <laughs> or or even touch the escalator handrail. Right. So um, I feel I feel OK about about that fact. And I, I know you guys, you know, I. I I love being in a restaurant where I know people care about sanitation and you actually have regulations for that. That part doesn't bother me. Also, the the line doesn't, well, I, I don't want to say the line doesn't bother me. The line bothers me, which is why I don't go to buffets. But I, I believe that there are a lot of people who don't mind that line. That's part of their social experience. Um, you know, we could take it out of the realm of buffets and talk about like the Oyster Bar in Palace Station, not, neither of your restaurants, right? But people line up forever and they have for years and they love meeting people online and talking to people. And, you know, to me, that's like waiting on the line at Space Mountain at Disneyland. It's kind of part of the experience, you know, and if you're if you're not into that, you both have some beautiful restaurants in your hotels that you could just go and be seated at your table and have a great meal. So to me, lines are sort of part and parcel of a buffet. They're not for me, which is why I don't go to buffets. But I, I, I have a hard time complaining about a line at a buffet. Yeah, well, I have an easy time complaining about it. <laughs> it, 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 it certainly doesn't seem like our guests mind. I, I, again, I think there's just a lot of excitement that we're back. And, and that's the feedback I get directly from, you know, talking to our customers. It, it, they're, you know, the, the lines are shorter. Uh, they're able to come in. And, and as Chef Jason said, we have very strict uh, sanitation protocols and the government guidelines state that, you know, you got to change out the utensils every hour. We we always have changed them out more often than that. And then it's, it's nice to have this hand sanitizer about that's something new that I think should stick and stay. Um, but, you know, other that aside, there there's not too many more uh, COVID related uh, changes to the buffet. And, and as I said before, the, the guests don't seem to mind. Buffets used to be considered a, a big bargain and a loss leader, you know, something that the casino lost money on. And that was just a way to, to make the guests happy. Um, obviously, we know it's not cheap. They're not cheap right now. And I don't know what the exact prices are for your buffets. But, you know, you could go to another restaurant within your resort or you could choose to go to the buffet. And um, I don't think of them as something you go to just to save money. I think of them as something that you go to to because you want that experience. You want a lot of different cuisines, different people in your parties want different things. But I mean, is the buffet still considered kind of a loss leader, a, a, a money losing experience for casinos? Or are you expected to turn a profit on these things? Uh, I'll say when done correctly, um, the, the all you all you can eat buffet can actually be a lucrative business if you do it right. Chef Jason? I I can't really speak to the numbers directly, but I believe that the buffet is a staple of our restaurant portfolios and any casino. And, you know, we're definitely happy to have it back as an option for our guests. Cool. Um, Jason, you, you had a question there and I stepped on you. What were you going to say, my friend? Uh, yeah, I wanted to ask uh, Chef Murphy because you had mentioned that you were already going through like uh, kind of a replanning or, you know, the next phase before um, the pandemic shut everyone down. What did that extra time do for you in regards to um, the update? 
Yeah, it, it was great. I mean, when you when you're working at a, a a restaurant that does that type of volume, it's very difficult to pause and to like reevaluate and even to change anything. To do something as simple as a menu change it is very challenging when you're doing that type of volume. So to have a complete pause and take a step back and look at an empty buffet line and typically what you you get into this mindset where it's like okay i need to swap out this dish for something else and to just look at a blank slate and say hey we don't always have to do it how you know how we've always done it and to add new stations and uh, just look at it from a completely different perspective that, that was really helpful to us and again we had time to reimagine and uh just spend the extra time on the on the plating and the presentations and and the offerings because um, typically it's it's a very quick process to to go through those uh, seasonal menu changes and, and we always have to approach it with a sense of urgency so to be able to take our time and really uh, be thoughtful and, and think through um, uh, from exec- concept to execution and uh, we we try to have unique offerings that are impressive to our guests but we also have to consider you know can our staff do this with this type of volume right now we're doing um you know upwards of 2,000 covers just for dinner um so you know you have to consider yeah we can come up with these uh, amazing dishes but if, if we can't execute it with that volume then then you know there's really no point so um it, it was just uh, a huge advantage for us to to have that time to really think through everything very carefully one of the lingering problems we have from COVID is um, the supply chains, right? Ingredients don't come in the way that they were coming in prior. Um, now, that's a problem for a chef who has 20 items on their menu. I've got to think it's a completely different problem for you guys. How have you been coping with supply problems, either one of you? Well, I think for me, we try to do things seasonal. So we try to implement items on our menu that are seasonality wise so that way they're a little bit easier to procure um you know obviously with what's going on with the crab market right now they weren't able to go fishing in alaska so you know we have to wait until october before they start doing king crab season and then wait until january until we can get opelio season so you know there are there are certain things that you know we are kind of hemming and hawing about but unfortunately you know we just have to think outside the box and come up with other creative ideas as to what chef jen was saying to make sure that we can execute it and make sure that we can have it out there and have our guests enjoy it yeah no no doubt it's been very challenging to to source all the things that we have on the buffet we have 222 dishes and um I've learned more about the different species of crabs than I, I, I'd ever care to know about. Uh, but you know, I, it's, I had no idea they had <laughs> that they had opelio crab in Norway. I had no idea, right. but I guess they do. So, yeah. I mean, this sounds like a fascinating spin-off podcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we can do a two separate chefs, show. Two on chefs that. talk about crabs. So. <laughs> Crab. Let's get crabby. Yeah. No, it's it's uh, a lot of phone calls, a lot of emails back and forth, trying to track down the stuff and just being flexible because there's certain days where we have to change out dishes because we can't get the specific right. product, and and that's just not that's not exclusive to our buffet. That's in all of our restaurants right now. So one of the things that's fun for us as people who you know eat out all the time everywhere is seeing the trend what's trending and uh you know obviously you guys have always offered uh 
Asian items, but you know, there's so much more now. You at Bacchanal have a whole Korean street food station. And then over at the Wynn, we have that char suey pork belly now being offered uh, cut uh, off the bone. Can you guys talk about, you know, what do you think it is right now that that's making that so um, so desired by diners? Yeah, I, I think that uh, with social media, people are being exposed to all sorts of things and the trends are moving about much faster, right? So, you know, like this birria taco thing right, that everyone's <laughs> eating, you see it everywhere. So I think that's important for us uh, to stay on trend and, and we have all those offerings. Korean barbecue, you know, maybe five, 10 years ago, people wouldn't know what that is. And, and we don't, it's not just the barbecue, right? We have the, the Korean chicken wings, we have the chapjay and, and all the different banchans to, to go along with it. And that's familiar to people now, which is great. Um, so I just think it's a fun thing to see all these different cultures represented on, on our buffets and, and and to see somebody come and recognize something from their home country or or something that they grew up with is, is just like a really nice feeling to see and to watch. It's been so great having both of you chefs here to talk about the buffet. I know people are interested in buffets. Um, Jen, you are at the Bacchanal Buffet. You're doing dinner only right now, correct? Seven nights a week? Correct. And Chef Jason, you're doing breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week? Or what days are you doing that? Breakfast, brunch, and dinner. And we are closed Tuesday, Wednesdays. Thank you both for being here. We're going to have you back to talk crabs maybe sometime <laughs> very soon. Um, and in the meantime, we'll, we'll be um, in and checking out those buffet lines soon. I'm going to try to get Jason to go at a more decent hour. This is Food and Loathing. Hey, I'm Josh Bell. I'm Jason Harris. Hey, Josh, we're friends in real life, but we're also co-hosts on this new podcast called Awesome Movie Year, where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies and do a deep dive looking at movies, including the best picture winner, the biggest movie at the box office, future cult classics, and more. Including the biggest flop. And this season, we're doing 1994. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. That could be Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. We're all over the web as well at Awesome Movie Year on all the socials and awesomemovieyear.com. So please like us, subscribe. And uh, if you do like us, give us a five-star rating because we love you. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. We are back here at Food and Loathing, and we have a lot of news in Las Vegas, the food and dining scene this week, and nobody was more on that scene getting that news than my man Al Mancini. Well, Jason, you went out of town for a couple days, and I had to be out and about seeing what was happening here in town. So um, one thing that that struck me is that Pawn Plaza, which is located right next door to the Gold and Silver Pawn Shop, which you know from TV's Pawn Stars, they have a new Mexican spot, which actually opened a few months ago, but they are finally throwing a grand opening party this weekend. It's called Taqueria Katrina, and it's a restaurant that prides itself on the authenticity of its street tacos. So I asked one of the chef owners, Eloisa Aguilar, exactly what region it's authentic to. It will be Michoacan, where we're from. This is how we ate it back home, how we were taught, I guess. I remember I my dad would make us wake up in the morning on the weekends when we didn't go to school and make us see him cook. So now it's all how he did it. So yeah, it basically 
comes from him. So a little bit of dad's love in the kitchen there at Taqueria Katrina. Family recipes, street tacos, it sounds like a good deal to me. Well, you can definitely check them out this Saturday with their grand opening. I want to note also the word Katrina is spelled K-T-R-I-N-A, and it's a reference to La Catrina, the female skeletons who oversee Mexico's Day of the Dead. So you can expect to see one of those figures at the Saturday night celebration. It's going to be from 6 to 7. We're going to have Katrina's. There's going to be two models for pictures. You guys can take pictures. We're going to have mariachi live. Uh, we're going to have um, tacos so you guys can try them out. Um, churros or what we sell the most, I guess, so you guys can kind of have an idea of what we have. So that is Taqueria Katrina in Pawn Plaza, right next to the Gold and Silver Pawn Shop on Las Vegas Boulevard. They will be, they will be partying there this Saturday, July 17th from 6 to 7. Also, Jason, a little sad news. Speaking of the Day of the Dead, Al. Oh. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, we um, one of the Strip's premier seafood destinations, Costa de Mare at the Wynn. They're closing their doors this weekend. That's Sunday, July 18th will be the final night of service. They've been around since about 2015. They took over from Bartolota, which had that space. Um, that's one of was honestly one of the greatest seafood spots in Las Vegas, one of the top Italian spots, um, a great place to go. I mean, talk about the VIP cabanas out on that, that pond in the backyard. They were just gorgeous. So we're definitely going to miss that. We are, Al. And I got to shout out our man Evo up front. I think he is the premier front of house man on all of the strip. I have no doubt he'll land on his feet. Um, I remember him from Le Cirque. He's just a, the best. Yeah, and I don't know where Evo is going, but I'm sure we're going to see him at the front of the house in a great restaurant soon. I do know that um, Chef Mark LaRusso, who was running that restaurant, is now taking over as the executive chef of SW Steakhouse. I also asked, you know, I, I reached out to some of our friends at Wynn to see what was happening with the people who were displaced. Because, I mean, honestly, you know, in Las Vegas, a restaurant closes. I, I feel a little sad, but I know a great one is going to replace it. But I always feel for the people who are out of work, and that is rough. And I'm told that everyone who's um, losing their job over there will be offered the chance to interview for another job at Wynn and Encore. We all know that there's a shortage of quality restaurant workers today. I know that there are currently 183 food and beverage openings just within Wynn and Encore alone. That's a great team over at Costa de Mare. So I'm, I'm hopeful they're all going to land on their feet and we're going to see a lot of them in, in quality places very soon. Yeah, we're rooting for them. Of course, Wynn and Encore is such a great restaurant collection. So hopefully they uh, find new homes and we know Mark LaRusso is going to do great stuff at SW. And I think if you want that um, that fish market concept in a, um Italian restaurant now, that just opens it up for Bobby Flay over to Malfi, right? Oh, well, that's a callback. Well, you got a callback. <laughs> and and there's, there's, there's Milos. There's me, those for the Greek end of that. Yes. One last thing, and you know, I always say there's no reason to put out a best of list except for people to tell you how stupid you are for the things that are on your best of list. Um, the Las Vegas Weekly's best of list came out right now. Jason and I have been glancing through it as we eat this delicious buffet at Mint Indian Bistro. Jason, what struck you on the Weekly's best of list, and what did they get right? What did they get wrong? And I know I'm saying this with much love because I've compiled these lists, and my picks are just as stupid 
stupid as anybody else. And as I've said, I used to write for the weekly. I have fond memories of uh, my compatriots over there and helped put together these lists in the past. Some of the things that were sad to me is Capriati's, the reader's choice for best sandwich shop. That's not really a knock on the readers, more of just uh, we got to do better with sandwiches out here, Al. Um, I saw our friend Bruce Kalman won the best new barbecue, Soul Belly. Let's take the word new out of that. Kalman's killing it. I love Soul Belly. He's definitely crushing it. There's other good barbecue. I'm not going to say that is true. my favorite in town. Um, I think barbecue's underrated in Las Vegas. We're going to have to do a story on that. I do think it's funny, though, because, look, you've been in these story meetings where we come up with best of lists, and, um, and I've done it for a lot of publications in this town. And I think a lot of times the editors and the writers just find what they're really excited about, and then we all just make up a category. Like, we invent something, right, so that it'll fit that category. And, you know, I think we see a little bit of that on this list as well. Jason, I know, because I want to go back to one of our previous um, our podcasts here, Best Breakfast Spot, this is the reader's choice in the Las Vegas Weekly, is Seagull's Bagel Mania. I know that, I mean, I, I'm not really sure. The place is brand new. I don't know how many people. I mean, that's a that's a reader's pick, right? So, I mean, they how they get that many people to vote? Did they maybe the Seagull Suites residents all voted for it? Maybe, uh, maybe they did yeah. some old school Vegas stuff and dropped off a few briefcases, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I have to say there are much better breakfast spots. Seagulls, maybe they'll gain their footing there, the bagel mania, but it wouldn't even be in like my top five. I think if you're going to go to breakfast, you have that Henderson kind of triangle of craft kitchen, the stove, and kitchen table, all of which I'd just go immediately to. Yeah, absolutely. Here's one. Um, best late night. They, they chose er, late night meal, I'm supposing. Herbs and rye. And like, here's a weird one, because I like herbs and rye, and I like it a lot, but I would go to Cleaver for late night food. With same owner, opposite side of town, and I think the food's a little better at Cleaver. Mm. Well, I think maybe it's just that Herbs and Rye is still more known. That was Nectali's original place. And you get that half-price, happy-hour pricing. I know it's at both of them, but people recognize that with Herbs and Rye late night. Yeah, I mean, both of them are good. But I'm just telling you, if you want to avoid the crowds and you want to be hipper than the people in the, the weekly, I say go to Cleaver instead of Herbs and Rye. That's my thing. How about Chef Natalie Young as best chef? I mean, we, we love that, right? Natalie's just killing the game, bro. So, And uh, I know you... Is she still selling the furniture out of the antique store there? She's selling furniture over at Authentic <laughs> in, um, yeah, a, a block off of Main Street uh, down in the Arts District. I love that. And of course, her restaurants are Eat in downtown and also um, Old Soul in the World Market Center. And if she ever does the fried chicken pop-up again, which, you know, you can find the fried chicken on the menu, but those pop-ups are so good. Yeah. So anyway, much love to my friends at Las Vegas Weekly. Um, you guys put together a great list. I, I, everybody should go there. I, I'm not sure. I guess it's lasvegasweekly.com or something find them and look at that list and then tell them what they did was stupid because that's why we anybody in this business puts together lists i'll make up a category right now um best place to get a pink drink to serve to jason directly after he eats some inferno sauce that is a tease because what we're gonna do is i'm gonna have some of this inferno curry at the end with this strawberry lassi to wash it down but speaking of teases yeah our man rich I have a really big tease, the penultimate story of this this uh, podcast. The Plaza, downtown, full disclosure, I produced the Plaza's podcast on the corner of Main Street. They've, uh, for a long time, wanting to, have wanted to come up with some sort of late-night entertainment and food option. Once Oscars closes about uh, 12, 10.30, there's nothing much to do there besides gamble. 
So the opportunity has come because the Greyhound bus station has left the plaza property. They signed a 50-year lease when they opened the plaza. I once had to get an assignment from ABC News that I had to go to that Greyhound station and oh. um, interview people to see if they had found the runaway bride because there was a runaway bride <laughs> yeah. in Las Vegas. And I have to tell you, I'd been partying for about 36 hours when that assignment <laughs> came in. So me um, hanging out at that bus station yeah. today, I was a sight to be seen. But I'm sorry, You were Rich, the one at runaway bride. I was the runaway something. But Rich, I interrupted. <laughs> your thunder so about the plaza. What do they have coming, well, man? They also had a, 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 a timeshare office that was there in the casino floor. That has gone away. And that space is going to become something new and cool. Uh, it will be announced on the Plaza's podcast on the corner of Main Street, which will drop just a few hours after we drop this on Friday, so Friday noon. And I'm told one of our mutual friends may be involved with this. Yes, project. I'm not going to steal their thunder because uh, it, it, the Jonathan Jossel, the CEO at the Plaza, announced this. We recorded the other day. It drops, like I said, just a couple of hours after we're dropping. So once you hear this, go get on the corner of Main Street, and you'll recognize the name of the tenant that is coming late this fall. And go to the plaza right now and have Papa Pizza. Mike is yeah. one of the best pizza makers in the city. I did that yesterday. So we have not stolen the thunder. You, like Dan Reynolds, are the lightning before the thunder. Yes. Oh, okay. Now, so speaking just... of all the curry we've been having here at Mint Indian Bistro, a challenge has been thrown down, and Jason has accepted the challenge. Chris, our friend here at Mint, challenged me to try some of this Inferno curry. I'm going to put it on some non bread. Tell everyone what uh, what's about to happen to me. Nothing. You know, you won't die. You'll, you'll just have a little bit of hiccups, you know. Great. And, I like uh, it when the chef tells me I won't die. Well, let me just tell you, he gave me a portion, and he said the Inferno curry usually has one and a half times the amount of this. Yes. Okay. And what you're having is a mixture of uh, Carolina Reapers, oh, Trinidad right. Moruga, ghost chilies are the top three. Now that's just a little bit of powder in a ramekin there, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah just now a, on the naan. Jason, Jason is, eats it. He's going to be fine. It's okay. I don't see any choo -choo. tears. Choo-choo. Like a choo-choo. He's track. doing excellent. Oh, there it is. Ah. There's the heat. Yeah, that's a <laughs> that's good. I'll do another bite though, because I'm a I'm an idiot. <laughs> uh, and as Jason tears You're brave, up, I say. I'm brave. Yeah, people who try it are the bravest. What it is is, you know, as with, whoo, <laughs> is that you, what it is? You get it the first, you know, bite, and it's yeah, okay, and then you get that big heat and spice at the end there and i could see people who love these uh, heat challenges coming in here and just trying to um knock out a full portion of it does anyone do this without having a drink i've had a 12 year do it with guardian parents permission a 12 year old <laughs> yes yes now the flavor tell, tell us about the flavor you got all the heat but what what, what are the flavors well, that's what i was going to say I can't really talk because my tongue is about to explode, I think. But it is flavorful. Chris, you talk, please, because i got to drink more Lassie right now. Get some more, man. <laughs> okay. We're going to leave Jason to suffer. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do Jason's signing off part and remind you guys that this is um, that's it for this episode of Food and Loathing. We do want to thank all of our guests, Chef Jennifer Murphy of Caesars Palace, home of the Bacchanal Buffet, Chef Jason Duarte of the Buffet at Wynn, and again, a huge thanks to Chris Parikh. Am I getting that right, Chris? Absolutely. The owner of Mint Indian Bistro for hosting us today, man. The buffet was fantastic. Thank you so much. Thanks also for making Jason cry. That's usually my job. <laughs> I feel it in my 
ears now. Is that normal? <laughs> <laughs> did you put it or did you go barehanded? <laughs> no, I put it on the non. You know what that means when you go to the bathroom, right? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Okay. <laughs> oh. If you like what you've heard, please join us again next time. We drop new episodes every Friday. And next week, since we talk about everything edible on this show, how about edibles? Yeah, I'm talking cannabis edibles. We're going to talk about that in the next episode. That's the kind of stuff I could not do at the Las Vegas Review Journal, and I'm excited to do it. I'm going to go lay down, Al. You keep talking. Okay. I, can, I can help you out here. Tell a friend about Food and Loathing. Subscribe or follow on any podcast platform. And if you subscribe through Apple, leave us a nice review, please. Just reach us direct by email. Info at foodandloathing.vegas. Search Facebook for Food and Loathing. Twitter, we're at Food Loathing. Instagram, find our very nice photos. And we're going to have some great ones from this place. At Food and Loathing Pod. With Jason Harrison, producer Rich Johnson, I'm Al Mancini. Stay hungry. I survived the inferno. Well, for now.